0: the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing, this is World of Wonders' WOW Report, things that make us go wow. Hello
1: and welcome to this week's edition of the WOW Report on Radio Andy. We count down the top 10 things this past week that made us go wow. I'm co-founder of World of Wonder, Fenton Bailey, joined by James St. James. James, you're a little peeky.
2: I'm a little under the weather. Do I look pasty? Do I look terrible? Do I look like I'm going to drop dead any minute?
1: You look gorgeous. A little pale, maybe. A little ghostly. But you a <sighs> yeah, never... And our chief credible, officer, Tom Campbell. Can I just say that I'm on a cat diet?
3: You sleep 20 hours a day. The four hours you're awake, you just eat from a bowl on the ground. And then I have a, a, a green grass cleanser that I'm perfecting. So that's my
1: loss program.
3: Sleeping eating out of a bowl.
2: I think I could sleep 20 hours. I think I would
1: feel very good if I
2: slept 20 hours.
1: Well, before you go hibernate, let's count down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, this week, number 10, Tom. Now I could be
3: wrong, Fenton, but I believe we have themed this week, all things queen. Is that correct?
1: You know, you you should be doing this job. You're completely right. It is yeah. the queen edition. It is the queen edition. Not <laughs> every week with the three of us is not the
3: queen edition. Uh, but this one at number 10. Number 10. In the theme, uh, I want to talk about The Queen's Gambit, what everybody's talking about on Netflix, so much so that I hesitated to watch it because I just resent being part of the crowd. And yet and I yet, love being part of the crowd. I watched... How, I, I like being followed, not following. Um, well, you're,
2: you're part of the pavement. You're, you're part of the parade. You're part of the pavement, as my grandfather always said.
3: Well, uh, I love your grandfather. Um, have you, either of you sampled, watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix?
1: Yes, I did. I Because I was watching The Crown, of course, and I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. But I was like, after some point, I said, I cannot watch any more episodes of this. I have to. Mediate it, modulate it with something a little different. Like, a little
2: palate cleanser.
1: There you go. It's amazing. Tell me it, about it. I
2: don't know anything about it.
1: It's what, not,
3: it, it stars uh, a- Anya Taylor-Joy, who's a young actress who plays um, an orphan. I'm only halfway through, so there's there's stuff. But she's orphaned. She's a very Her mother seemed to suffer from some kind of mental illness. I don't know yet. She's put into an orphanage where she finds out from the janitor downstairs... It was so scary, but it wasn't scary. I was so ready for something bad to happen. He taught her how to play chess. And she is so good at playing chess. And without giving too much away, this is all like first episode, they also gave them like barbiturates and things to sort of keep them drugged and behaved. And she learned from one of the, if you hold on to them, hold on to this, James, and wait, and don't just take them one at a time, but like 10 at once, you just start to hallucinate. And that's one of the ways that she kind of sees the board anyway. She becomes, it's so So many,
2: wait a minute, she she does drugs to do well at at chess?
3: Well, she's just a complicated character who's also slightly a drug addicted, who's also a a genius, who's also an orphan with a lot of like- I think I relate to this girl. You are this girl. Um, What's fascinating about it, it's well acted, it's a period piece, none of the elements, like I do not want to watch a movie about chess. It sounds just like painful, and but I'm telling you, they tell this story so brilliantly in so many ways. I'm halfway through, but I didn't realize this until I did a little bit of research, but the man who brought Queen's Gambit to life is Walter, I think it's Tevis, Tevis, Mm -hmm. and he – had some parallels the the headline is he's the novelist who wrote the hustler that became the Paul Newman movie. He wrote the man who fell to earth. He wrote the color of money, which was the follow-up. So he's a very, and he lived this crazy life. He was a, a, a chess prodigy. He was institutionalized for having like rheumatic fever and his, his family moved from San Francisco to Kentucky while he was in the hospital. And they eventually reunited. And then he hustled pool. I mean, he just lived this raw Is There's almost a movie to be made about his life. But he is, the because you're wondering, where does this really rich and mannered and detailed story come from? It's from a man who's passed away, but a novel that he wrote, uh, uh, Walter Travis, who knew. I'm a fan. I'm a fan.
1: And I think the producer years and years, maybe 30, 40 years ago, tried to, has been trying to turn it into a movie forever. And I think the producer is now like 85 years old and you finally got it away as a series on Netflix, which is incredible as yeah. well. Wow.
3: And, you know, and, and, um, we sometimes are crass about Ryan Murphy shows that they're all, they're all scenery and no scenes, but this also, it has wonderful acting and wonderful writing and also has an amazing detail to period. It all happens in the late 50s, 1963. They recreate Vegas casinos. It's, you know, it's really done uh, to a T in the suburbs and her clothes and, and the hairstyles. It's really,
1: really worth seeing. I'll check it out. The so Queen's oh, nice. Cabot streaming on Netflix. Number nine, James. Number nine.
2: Number nine. We have the Boy Queen, Harry Styles himself. Harry Styles on the cover of Vogue. He is the first solo male to ever be on a Vogue American Vogue cover. He is um, in a dress. He is not doing drag, and I love that. I think he is just doing fashion. And I think there is a table for, there's a seat for everybody at the table. Yes. God bless the drag Queens. We're getting uh, co- covers, but also gender queer, gender, you know, gender fluid. I think all of that is fantastic. Um, I loved Harry since for, forever and ever and ever. I love his music. I love his style. I think everything about him is really fantastic. I think he is the John Lennon of one direction. I think he was, he is the, the creative one who pushes boundaries, uh, Whereas Liam was, was Paul and Zane was uh, George Harrison. But that's neither here nor there. Um,
1: uh, I, I, well, actually, it is, I think it is kind of here or there because I was just thinking about Robbie Williams is the John Lennon. Yes, of- definitely.
2: He is, he is the Robbie Williams of, 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 of One Direction. Um, I also think this goes a long way in rehabilitating uh, my opinion of Anna Wintour. I think this gives her lots of karma points for me to do this. But on the other hand, can I just say this about that? Is that he is, you know, standing on the shoulders of some very big giants, and he didn't invent the wheel, and it's not the most, you know, like a boy in a dress in 2020 is not that, the the way people are acting is if he's he's just, (laughs) it's the most craziest thing they've ever seen in their life. And, you know, when you go back to the 1920s, you had the, you know, the, The bright young things doing this. You had Mick Jagger in the '60s. You had Quentin Crisp. You have T Rex. You have David Bowie. You have Boy George. You have you know uh, everybody. You have James St. James, and that therein lies my fury because I have been wearing dresses and pearls for 40 years, and nobody ever puts me on a cover of anything, and nobody ever gives me credit for for paving the way for young Harry Styles. So (laughs) fabulous, but god damn it, when is it my turn?
1: The, the men in dresses uh, trend is the sort of perpetual – it pops back up every few years. I mean, and
2: every few years they say, oh, my God, Gautier put a man in a tube skirt. Can you imagine?
1: Well, actually, thereby does hang a out, because James, when I first went to New York in the 80s, last century, the Einstein's people – remember yeah. the little store – I love them. They flew me up to Boston to be on People Are Talking in a, on a segment of many... I people Are Talking,
2: yes. And
1: they put me in a pencil skirt and I could hardly move across the stage.
2: I love those Einstein outfits. They, I, I follow Einstein's... I follow, follow Paul Monroe on instagram and he often shows some of those old outfits from the 80s and they're just fantastic
1: now what about the pushback who was it who's the conservative who's saying we need manly men this is like
2: oh candace owens (laughs) went you know he is the worst so i you know i love harry and i think he's fantastic and i just want to pinch his little cheeks and and pat him on the head so
3: i have a feeling you might be hearing from harry soon (laughs) I don't know, but I think Harry might be reaching out to give you a big thank you.
2: Oh, can you imagine?
1: (laughs) But look, you have been very, very anti-fashion for a long time, for all of this pandemic. Yes. What what is it about this that makes you change your mind?
2: Um, I I mean, I think that it's... Uh, And it's not drag fatigue, because I work at World of Wonder, and I'm not allowed to say that. But there is a bit of drag fatigue going on in in my life. And I do think that the idea of of just gender fluidity and gender androgyny and gender queer, all of that is something that's, that's interesting. And it really hasn't been... Um, I don't. It hasn't gone to the forefront in a way that that some of the other things have.
3: And Harry Styles is fascinating. And Harry Styles looks good on the cover of Vogue. He and- looks damn good. He is a
1: good-looking boy. It's aesthetically pleasing. I sort of like the way it's just him in a dress. So there isn't the, there isn't a the whole.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's not it's not drag. It's not it's not too much zhuzh but- and and glitter and you know big wigs and and boobs, and I, you know, I, you know, I used to get a lot of crap from, uh, drag queens in the 80s, because I, uh, you know, I'm not wearing hips, I'm not wearing boobs, I don't wear wigs, I, I'm, not, you know, it, it's not drag if you don't do nails, and really? I'm curious, don't you dare tell me what, to, how to wear what I want to wear.
3: Quick question, you're not wearing boobs?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I have the boobs, yeah. <laughs>
3: Loops,
1: moves, moves, moves. Moves oh, like a hanger. Welcome, welcome to the club. How dare you move? Let's move on to number eight. Number eight. Um, Shiro's. James, I think you might want to take a nap during this because I want to talk about the queens of Drag Race UK season two. Oh,
3: well, yes. I just know that we're talking about this now. We have to talk generally, correct? We, there has not been a full announcement.
1: Absolutely. No identities will be revealed. This is really just, it has been an extraordinary uh, month, personally speaking, first going to London and doing two weeks of lockdown, all to do- In a
2: castle, mind
1: you. It had its benefits, but all to do two weeks of shooting. And it was just so touch and go and tense. Um, For example, like a few days before we started shooting, we had to change the testing that we were doing because we kept on getting these false positives from the test. And if we carried on doing the false positives with the anal fisting test, we wouldn't be able to shoot. So we- Nasal fisting, nasal fisting. Oh, sorry, not. did I say anal fisting? You did,
2: you shocked me.
1: (laughs) Someone goes on in nothing. Nasal (laughs) fisting, because these swab things are like nasal fisting. So we changed to a pinprick test and it worked much better. It was an instant test. And the first day back, this is really what I just wanted to share. It was so amazing. I was just we were all isolated as you know, I think we can reveal that we've shot another season in during this COVID and everybody's isolated and in bubbles and it's it's really interesting how it's done and but it it's a bit of it's a weird experience because you're together but you're not actually together. You, everybody's in a remote in a remote capacity. Tom, you were you know on the phone from LA, which was pretty the miracle of technology. Yeah. But the amazing thing was the Queens came into the workroom because they'd been suspended for like seven months. So we brought them back. I just started crying because they were, they were just so happy to be there. And here were, you know, a bunch of people actually physically together in a room with no masks, actually interacting and talking and just them telling their stories about what they've been through well, just made me realize how everybody is going through some crazy, sustained shit. And it was just a very joyous thing. And yes, Tom, yes.
3: I was in LA. I was able to participate remotely, but more than anything, I was on the phone with you and the phone with Theron. You know, and you. I have to say that all of you who had to sit alone for two weeks and had your food dropped at your door, whether you looked like it on the outside or not, you all lost your sanity. Uh, that's not an insult, but everybody, you, you have like emotional breakthroughs and breakdowns when you are alone and isolated for two weeks like that.
2: I, you know, I, I found that. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, go ahead,
1: Benjamin. No, well, I was just going say when they when I got when I first arrived. They they gave me, you know, food was delivered outside the door, and included with it was a pack, a big package of Kleenex. I got through those fucking Kleenex in like this I'd just been so weepy. I like all my sort of crusty exterior and. This just sort of melted and I would just tear up. You know when you're on a plane and you watch some crappy advertisement and you're suddenly weeping? It was like that. It was like being at 50,000 feet for two weeks in a, in a steel tube, you know? <laughs> James, what are you gonna say?
2: Um, I'm just gonna say that I have a feeling that we're about to head into a very dark winter. And I think that things are about to get really so I think we all just need, when we have a chance to tell everyone we love them, and to, to be happy to be around people and to just always take that moment because I think the lockdown this next time is going to be even more drastic. And I, I, I found myself when I go to the grocery store. I've been stocking up on canned goods, and just unconsciously, I just I, I found that I've like been buying. like just, I, I, my gut tells me that there's going to be bread lines again, and you know, yeah. It's I,
1: love you. I love you, James. I love you, Fenton. I love
2: you. Too. I love
1: you, Tom. I love you, Fenton. Uh, love you, bro. Um, so I can't really reveal much about you know the, but I think it's a great. I think it's a great season, and that isn't me just plugging our own show. I think it is a stupendous miraculously, Tom, yes. And it's coming very soon. Very soon, gonna be announced very, very soon. Okay, we'll take a break. And while talking about things that are coming very soon, Drag Race Espana was announced. That is also coming soon.
2: Uh, Congratulations, that's fantastic news.
1: It's going to be on uh, Atres Player Premium, which is a streaming platform free to air in Spain, and rest of the world, Wow Presents Plus. Okay, so $3.99 to subscribe at wowpresents.com. Okay, let's take a break. Blake, if you got a question.
0: I do, I do. So James talked about... Harry being the first man, solo man on the cover of Vogue, how many of the nine other men who have appeared with women on the cover of Vogue, can you guys name? Uh,
1: mm, A challenging fashion question from Blake, and we'll be right back with the answer after the break.
0: You're listening to World of Wonders, WOW Report, things that make us go wow.
1: Um, welcome back. I'm Fender Bailey, um, joined James St. James, Tom Campbell, and Blake. We're, we're counting down the top ten things that made us go wow this past week. And Blake asked us a teasing question before the bloke.
0: Yeah, it? James talked about Harry Styles being on the cover of Vogue as the first solo man. How many of the other nine men who have appeared on the cover of Vogue but with a woman can you guys name? Go. Kim and
2: Kanye. Um uh, uh Barack and Michelle. No. No. Um what about Michael Jordan? No. No.
1: Beckhams.
3: Oh the
0: Beckhams no. who?
1: Bill and Hillary.
0: No. I surely Hillary. thought James would get more. Justin, Bieber and Haley were just Ooh. on the cover. Uh, Zayn and Gigi were on the cover. I remember that, yes. And then, um, other than that, Richard Gere was the first in 92, followed by Clooney in 2000, yeah. LeBron James in 08, Ryan Lochte in 2012. Ryan Lochte? Ben Stiller, Olympian Ashton Eaton, and then Zayn and Justin. Ben Stiller? That's a weird one. It was, was, it- it was to promote uh, Zoolander 2. Oh, okay.
1: And what is Harry promoting, by the way? Why, why is he on the cover now?
2: Well, he has a, um, a new album that's number one all over the world. And if you ever turn on a radio, maybe you'd hear Watermelon Sugar High or um, any one of the other songs that have dominated the airwaves.
1: I still haven't heard WAP, so I'm like a little bit behind. <laughs> but let's move on with our countdown of the top ten things that made us go wow because they think there's a segue here. Number seven.
0: Number seven.
1: Disco queen. Um,
3: James, I hate to call you wrong, but uh, uh, your, your lover, uh, what's his face, uh, is, Harry is not number one of the world. Our girl, Kylie Minogue is. Oh, wow, I mean. Kylie Minogue, yes, Kylie Minogue is the first artist to have a number one album uh, over spanning five decades. Oh. kind of remarkable. Now, I have a sad confession. I have never been a – I like Kylie Minogue. What's not to like? She's pretty. She's had catchy songs. I've enjoyed her music since uh, um, Locomotion. Remember that in the 80s? She has spanned the test of time and styles. The
2: 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now 2020, I guess? I guess, yeah. Wait, didn't Tina Turner do 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s?
3: I uh, I only go by what people are publishing on the internet, which is never false. Did no, no Share do 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s? That was I it?
2: How she, how she 90s,
3: just 90s. So um and what about Madonna? No,
0: Madonna 90s. hasn't had a hit in 10 years. 10 years. Kylie is the first in the UK. Oh,
3: I see. Okay. I feel like I live in the UK now, so that's the whole thing now. I this is controversial. And if you're just tuning in, this is a fun show. I'm not being dark. I went and saw Kylie Minogue at the Hollywood Bowl a few years ago. And, you know, I have seen Liza there. I've seen Diana Ross. Gay, 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 gay audiences. I'd never only people. It was the gayest audience on Earth that made me think that mm-hmm. she's so popular because she was a science experiment at one point, if they couldn't cure AIDS, stick with me people, this is satire, if you couldn't cure AIDS that they created this irresistible pop star in Kylie Minogue where gay men would gather and they could extinguish us all in big fell swoops. That's what goes through my mind. While you are at, at the Hollywood Bowl enjoying the taste of wine, I am worrying about that there's a plot against all of us. But luckily, <laughs> There is that you can live with AIDS now, and Kylie Minogue is probably not the subject of a government experiment, or she's broken free from that. It's oh, if, uh, really dark, very if, satire. And if this were on Netflix, you'd think it was brilliant. But
0: oh, I, I think
2: it, I think you have some uh, some issues you might need to work
0: through.
1: No, I Dot times. So. I want to say
3: that I have to say I love this new album because it is you know how they'll say like Do a Loop is disco or people are doing disco and it's it's dance music and it's great. But uh, Kylie is doing disco unapologetically retro. The lines, um, my she answers such questions as where does the DJ go 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 when the party is over tonight, and that's really, <laughs> doesn't really answer it, but just thinking about it's party. I love disco, um, spoiler alert, uh, fire me for my disclosing, but on uh, the upcoming Drag Race US, we have a disco challenge and we were just reminded how great disco music is, how uplifting it is,
1: how it makes you, it's, it's like affirmation upon affirmation, I'll stop talking, go ahead. What are you gonna say? No, I think I, I think disco is having a major moment right now because you mentioned Dua Lipa's uh, 2054, which does sound like it really is a thumping disco remix extravaganza. Yeah. Yes. So I think this
3: goes back. So, and, and give it to Kylie. Any, you know, I just I love the stories of people that prevail, right? Who just keep are good at what they do and keep doing it, and don't let this crazy business and all of the crazy things around us take us out. I'm not saying she hasn't had heartbreaks and ups and downs, but good for her. Go, girl! But um, will
2: Kylie ever really break in in the uh, in the USA? It seems to me that she never she's like that Robbie Williams where they're huge all over the world, but they cannot get a top ten hit to save their lives here. And they and can't get radio play.
0: I, I hear I,
2: I listen to a lot of radio in my car and I do not hear Kylie Minogue.
3: The only thing I will say is that it's all changing that radio play and those those outlets that used to be so narrow and so defined are kind of broken and it's is it on your spotify is it on your playlist and right and you know i just keep making music and and making good music like kylie is and uh you know who knows that girl might catch on
1: yet (laughs) okay we're carrying on with our queens themed episode uh number six james number six
2: Uh, Queen of Mean, I've got Ivanka Trump here. I don't know if you guys read the article in Vanity Fair. It is so funny. Ivanka Trump's um, childhood friend, her bestie, her best Judy, has written sort of a tell-all in Vanity Fair. Uh, Lysandra Osterman is her name. And she uh, has written about how... They became friends when they were both at Chapin, which is an elite Upper East Side girls school in Manhattan. And uh, the, even then, even at 13, 14 years old, Ivanka was a queen bee. And she was uh, the, the sort of the mean girl who sort of had everybody by the balls, so to speak, at school. And everybody followed her, her every whim and her every trend. And she managed to get into that circle of of friends, Alessandra did. And she tells some stories in this article. And I just want to point out a few of them that really made me laugh. She would often ask uh, Lysandra for um, advice on books to read. And at one point she said, why don't you read Empire Falls, which is about a diner manager back in the 1960s or 70s, I can't believe. And Ivanka said, why would you want me to read something about poor people? That's disgusting. That's very telling. Um, There was another time where she farted and blamed it on Lysandra. And that was this, this whole, like, Lysandra has been holding on to this anger For a low these twenty years, there was another time when um, uh, she's at the office with Donald, with Donald Trump and Don Jr. and Ivanka, and she's eating a sandwich, and Don Jr. comes by and grabs half the sandwich and eats it, and Donald Trump says, "Yeah, she didn't need it anyway," because he was always talking about how fat she was,
1: even though he didn't know her name. He never learned her name.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. But he was always commenting on on her
3: weight issues. Um. Uh, By talking about this, I'm slightly breaking my rule because I do not want to uh, talk about that last name anymore. But yeah. this is juicy. And I do think the idea in many, many circles, and we'll see if it's true. I hope it is that that the Trump Kushners are persona non grata. They will not be welcome back into the circles in New York. And what was interesting about the article is these, this woman is very tied into that circle. She was raised in New York in the same circles as Trump. Yeah. And how everyone kind of stayed silent because yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. And that, that
2: wasp code of silence. Yeah. yeah.
3: And even to this day and through the administration, people were, were were kind of stunned. And she, just after the election, she finally sat down and started writing about it for herself and decided, you know, she had some misgivings and still thinks that she'll be skewered and ridiculed. But um, I'm hoping you know, that, that, you know, that the people that she loves to be around, Iv- Ivanka, don't want to be around her. And the people she loathes, she will have to be around.
2: I, one I one very story. quick story, I'm, I'm sorry, one very quick story, other story, was the um, there's the, inc- the hot dog incident where the, she talks about how all the girls in her school, Ivanka got them all to show their boobs to the hot dog vendor out, out outside, and they all got suspended except for Ivanka who ratted on them, even though it was her idea.
3: Yeah, she denied it and got away with it.
2: Yes.
1: Oh, and what about the the necklace that's... Um she has of of her boyfriend and his name is in Arabic and Ivanka just hated it and said it practically screams terrorist (laughs) Horrible, 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 horrible woman Horrible person I think it's a really great article because I think Ivanka has largely succeeded in presenting, if not a sophisticated image at least one of a sort of person that isn't excessive in the way that Trump is that isn't vulgar and crass and this article rips the lid off that. You see yeah. that she's, yeah. just, she's Trump, Trump through and through. And I'm totally with you, Tom, in the, never mentioning that name ever again. What's the reaction been to the article, James?
2: I think most people are loving it. I think there's a lot of Freud. And Freud uh, is that the, how you say the word? Yeah, uh,
1: Freud and Freud, yeah. Freud,
2: and Freud, Yes, uh, uh, when it comes to watching the Trump downfall and the Trump family downfall. And I think everybody is, it's a big cathartic, like, yes, let's feed them to the wolves.
1: Moving on, number five. Number five. Queen of Doom. I want to talk a little bit about um, the wow produced documentary by uh, directed by Chris McKim called Bojnarowicz, fuck you, faggot fucker. Um, spoiler alert for kids in the car, spoiler oh, alert. trigger, too late. Uh, <laughs> Breaking news, it just won a special jury award for the use of archive in uh, Doc NYC, which is the the virtual festival it just premiered in. And I have to say, Chris McKim has done such an amazing job of bringing this artist to life because, you know, there's docs about Warhol, docs about Basquiat, docs about Keith Haring, Mapplethorpe, Cindy Sherman, you know, all those... He's, there practically isn't at this point an East village artist or a New York artist from that period who doesn't have a doc. Kenny Scharf has a documentary uh, about him that also premiered in this festival, but Vojnarovic, a, a lot of people don't know who he is. I think, I think that it's a terribly difficult name to conjure with. It doesn't have that sort of brand name recognition that Warhol has or Madonna. You know what I mean? Vojnarovic how's it spelt. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, a tongue twister. Um, but the reason I think this film is so great is because it's really about a parallel situation. You know, in the eighties, the AIDS epidemic was wiping out gay men, and he saw this. He he had the um, he was HIV positive early on, and was so his whole, all his work became about calling out the government, which he identified as white and male and patriarchal and hateful towards minorities. And it's lack of concern, it's lack of compassion, and it's lack of action in dealing with it then. That was AIDS in the 80s. As AIDS in the 80s, so now coronavirus in the in, as we're entering the 20s. It seems like we're in a history rhyming situation, just much on a much, much larger scale. And I think his voice, which was seen as very angry, I mean, he was a co-founder of ACT UP and he was filled with rage and I think perhaps people, I, I think maybe I felt he was a bit too ragey, you know? But suddenly it's all profoundly relevant. And I'm just so thrilled for Chris because um, i never had reviews like it in my life. Uh, here's one. Um, it simply astounds how much you will experience an era through David Wojnarowicz in his glorious film, brilliantly edited by David Stank, who should receive an Oscar nod. Wojnarowicz is destined to be shortlisted, if not winner, of next year's Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. I mean, go make
2: Fantastic. Now, I have read that um, a lot of the people that you've interviewed, that you don't show them that they're just simply voiceovers. Is that true? That, like, you, you never see Fran Lebowitz's face or Carlo McCormick's, but you'd hear them?
1: That's true. He made the choice to do... because. So much of the film is the audio film, the letters, the tapes, the photographs of David Vojnarovich. He made this decision to only hear the voices of the interviews. There's a twist. There's an exception. It comes late in the film, and it's a great reveal. And if you're not crying, <laughs> if you're not already crying, you will just be like howling like a baby uh, at this point. I,
2: I cannot wait to see this.
1: It's- Congratulations,
3: Absolutely. of course, to Chris and the editor, but also to you and Randy for finding that material and for following through. It's not its its, it's nothing at face value that everyone's dying to do. I, I'm always impressed with how documentaries really do demand passion and
1: and 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 stick with itness. You know, you're you're so right about that. Thank you. But it, it it's it was taking the film around. You know, at the with a, a sizzle early on and a proposal. People just weren't engaging with the, with wanting to tell this story. So I'm so glad. Thanks to Chris, really, he's persevered and made it happen. And it's it, it's all all power and thanks to him. All right, so let's take a break. Take a break. <laughs> well, hi, Hi,
0: hi, hi, <clears> hi.
1: <throat>
0: so another little tidbit of news um, we learned this week that our angel on Earth, Dolly Parton helped to fund the Moderna vaccine that's doing so well in clinical trials. What what TV show did Dolly secretly executive produce?
1: Oh, I know this. We'll be right back after the break with the answer.
0: You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow.
1: Welcome back. I'm Fenton here with James, James, Tom Campbell and Blake. We had a question before the break.
0: Yes, yes. This week, uh, we learned that Angel on Earth, Dolly Parton, helped to fund the Moderna vaccine that's doing so well in clinical trials. What TV show did Dolly secretly executive produce? I
3: know, and I won't say it, but I'll say that it was a pro- her production company that produced the show. It was called Sand Dollar, and it was Sandy Gallon, who's passed away recently, got rest of soul, who was one of my first bosses. An amazing talent manager and Dolly's best friend and manager and Dolly, Sandy gallon, Dolly Parton, sand dollar. And they produced
0: Buffy, right? That's right. They, yeah. are, they, produced, they produced the film and also kept the TV rights. Cause they knew it would be that it could be a big hit. And it is, it, it's a great, you know, TV show about female
2: empowerment and, you know, girl power. And, and, and I, it, it does sort of line up with what Dolly always believes in. So I, it, at first you think, wow, that's strange, but then you think, no, 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 actually that works. Yeah. Dolly
1: Parton must be one of the great unsung heroes of our time. Yeah, yeah, queen, she is. Dolly. Queen. Yes. All right, let's carry on. We got we're doing a special sort of queen theme this week. Um, we've reached number four.
3: Number four. I'm just passing this along, but uh we're calling this uh, retail queen. I guess that's me. But it was just announced. The Tower Records, the mythic Tower Records, the yellow and red logo, uh, which you know was the number one record store in London, in Los Angeles, in New York, and we spent so much time, and it was such a cultural touchstone, When out of business, it's back online. You can now buy vinyl and CD on towerrecords.com. I spent some time flipping through albums. Um, it was nice. It's, uh, I was, my sister is big into her turntable, so I'm trying to figure out what to get her in vinyl. But um, I don't, it's not the same experience, obviously. What I used to love to do uh, when I went to Tower Records, I don't think I'm alone, is I would go to like the G section of easy listening and make sure that Edie Gourmet was in front of Judy Garland, like 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 facing out with the most flattering album cover. And <laughs> I would with Linda Ronstadt and Living John. I would restock the album so that <laughs> they would... And it'd be like, for living and John, I have making a good thing better because she was just so pretty smiling at one. <laughs> so I was that's that's my fanaticism. But uh, have you guys yeah. heard about the new tower? Have you been online,
1: checked it out? No, but well, I'm going to.
2: I I loved you know that was always when you when you had a little bit of pocket money and you could go to Tower and just spend it on on some music and even if you did it's bands that you'd never heard of yeah. that you thought you were gonna give it a shot like people don't really do that anymore and I remember that um, Cher lived in the building uh, in the apartment above Tower Records on West Broadway uh, back in in the '80s she had the penthouse do you remember that Fenton.
1: Oh, I remember that building, yeah, Broadway and Fourth, was yeah, it? Yeah,
2: Broadway and Fourth. yeah, and Cher lived in the penthouse there, and I remember you would you would see Cher
3: sightings once in a while. And I'll leave you with this question, if vinyl's back, will CDs come back? Because I'm still holding on to my CDs. I just spent too much gosh darn money on them, and they're all in my storage space in my garage.
1: Billy just showed Nolan and Elliot a ghetto blaster, and they had no idea what it was. They were looking at it like, what is this? And... Billy showed Nolan a cassette tape, and Nolan was like, "What? What is that? Like, uh, no idea." He thought it was a computer data device. (laughs) All right, tire records is back. That's great. Number three.
0: Number three,
2: Holiday Queen. I watched the Jingle Jangle musical on Netflix. You guys know about this?
1: (laughs) I saw it, but I think I am not going to watch any more Christmas. Well,
2: I, you know, th- last year I was a little bah humbug, but this year I feel like we need a little Christmas right this very second. I'm feeling it. I really am. Uh, Jingle Jangle is a mostly black, st- with well, the cast is mostly black, steampunk holiday musical, which is a very, very odd thing. And I'm going to break that down for you in a second. Because, but it stars Forrest Whitaker, Anika Nani Rose, um, Felicia Rashad, Ricky Martin. It has a fantastic cast. The little girl is so wonderful. It's about um, a design about an inventor, the world's greatest inventor. And he invents this sort of automaton, this tiny little robot doll that play, Ricky Martin plays. And then it's stolen from him. And that, that sort of sets up the, the movie. Um, it's, uh, it's very bizarre. The whole steampunk aesthetic. Do you guys know about steampunk?
3: Yeah, I've never been that turned on to it. It's very
2: strange. It is neo-Victorianism. It is uh, a palette, a color palette that is always brown and yellow instead of blacks and grays. Everything is brown and everything is um, uh, automated. It's um, like gears, lots of gears and clockwork and um, robots that were sort of made in the Victorian era that never really existed.
3: It feels very wild, Wild West to me. Remember that? There
2: is place? a Wild West element to it. There's a neo Victorianism. And there's also, um, uh, like I said, there's like robots and clockwork, and uh, everything is powered by steam. And for some reason on earth, I mean, like the idea of having a Black musical for a holiday musical is fantastic. I don't know why there aren't more black Santa Claus movies and, and black, you know, Scrooge. I I think that all of that is, is absolutely, you know, it should be done, but why throw in the steampunk element? It's so weird because all the outfits are Victorian outfits, but done with African textiles. And then everything else is Brown, the backdrops and everything like that. It's just, it's such a like, like arbitrary.
3: It's a jingle jangle.
2: It is a jingle jangle. It's a total jingle jangle.
3: Before that movie left the house, it should have looked in the mirror and taken one layer off. taken is-
2: on- Exactly. Yes. There are some really fantastic um, numbers in it. There's some really rousing musical numbers and dance numbers. And the little girl who is just absolutely spectacular. She's such a, a star in the making. I can't remember her name. But um, it. I don't know that I can actually recommend this because it's just so weird.
3: I think we should just leave it at this. It's the feel-good steampunk Christmas movie of the year.
2: Yes. If you're, if you're only going to see one black steampunk holiday movie, make it Jingle Jangle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, all right, Jingle Jangle. A Christmas Journey is streaming on Netflix, along with a lot of other holiday movies that they've cooked up. Um, okay, number two. Number two. Yeah, Queen of the Ball. Uh I feel there's definitely a theme here just beyond the Queen theme, but James, do you remember Shep Pettibone? Yes, of course. Of course. So I was minding my own business, and into my Facebook feed pops Bill Coleman, DJ, music producer, manager, the man behind Ultra Naté, the man behind Delight, uh, runs Peace Biscuit. He does these remixes. He does these sort of mega mixes. And he's done a... Megamix of Shep Pettibone. And I just clicked play on SoundCloud. And, you know, two hours later, I was like, oh, my God, he did that. Oh, my God, he did that. And, of course, the, the thing that Shep Pettibone may be most famous for is Vogue. He was given a budget of $5,000 by the record label head and said, oh, record something for Madonna, wrote this song which Madonna wrote the lyrics for and called Vogue. Isn't that crazy? And then he went on to produce the Erotica album, which was a huge milestone and I think a seismic cultural achievement, whether you loved it or loved it. I personally loved it. And he was just, I remember listening to his own mixes, Pettibone's like mega mixes on KTU, right? The radio station. And it was just that sound of the eighties, like new shoes, you know, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. bap, 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 and touching oh. all night long, from the ray, Do, 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 do. And I was just so, I was then I was like, well, what happened to him? Um, funnily enough, uh, back in the Pop-Tart days, I actually met Shep Pettibone. I was taken to see him in the studio, and he was quite, quite a looker, I must say. I thought he was rather hot. And um, I was—I just couldn't pick up on those vibes at the time. And you know, he said he was horny, and I was like, "What? What is he? What is he even talking about?" So I blew my chance with Shep Bone, I guess. But um, where was I going with this, other than telling that ridiculous?
2: I think 있잖아. I think that's the, the he landed, it,
1: yeah, you
3: landed in just the right spot. <laughs>
1: so he just—he literally—he never gave interviews, and there's one interview in Billboard from five years ago. And they asked him, why did you give it up? And he said, oh, I just was bored. I've been doing it for 15 years. And he went and opened a, 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 a club and a hotel in New Jersey called the Empress Hotel and the Paradise Nightclub in Asbury Park, New Jersey. And that's what he's been doing ever since. It's, it's weird. And is he still a very good looking man? I, there are no pictures. I can't tell you. But he's he's... He's basically 60. So he's just he's the same age as, uh, mm, 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 mm. you know, sixteen horny, it happens. <laughs> so check out Bill Coleman's Shep Pettibone Megamex on SoundCloud. Um, should we take another break? Please. If we All right. must. All right. And when we come back, we will reveal the number one thing that made us go wow this week.
0: You're listening to World of
1: Wonders, Wow Report.
0: Things that make us go wow.
1: Welcome back. This is the Wow Report. We're doing a special Queen-themed edition. Uh, I'm Fenton here with Tom and James, and we've reached number one. Number one. And, of course, with the Queen, it can only be one thing. The crown. The crown,
2: yes. Yes. And I have to say that I've been really b- mad for Jillian Anderson's portrayal of the Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher, that's absolutely crackers. It's absolutely top draw. And she's do you think. I know you loathe Margaret, but I I ended up I, I ended up liking her in this. And I ended up thinking that the Queen was the one who's the 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 bitch.
1: Let me tell you, I am a child of the Thatcher Revolution. There is no question she transformed Britain, as much loved and despised as she is. I'm, you know, James, it's not something you ever can admit to, but I kind of have a sneaking admiration for her. Now, the, the portrayal of her, though, is a little too cartoonish, I felt. I thought it was a little... I mean, it's amazing that she can do that, but it just felt a bit OTT, but, you yeah. know...
2: Well, you know, the thing about Julian Anderson is, you know, she just had come off from doing um, uh, um, American Gods in which she played Marilyn Monroe. So to go from Marilyn Monroe to Margaret Thatcher is uh, in the course of a year is pretty spectacular. There is one thing that I want to talk about. this one scene that just encapsulates all my admiration for uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher, and it's the scene after they're, they're so horrible to her when she goes to Balmoral, and she is—they just put her through the the trope. I mean, just they're just terrible. They are nasty and condescending and absolutely horrid snobs. And you really loathe them for it because how is she to know that you don't dress for tea, but you dress for, I mean, like all those like archaic little rules that they have. And she was just thrown into the, into the tiger pit. Um, But afterwards she's having a meeting with the queen and um, the queen is sort of like being a little nasty to her saying, you know, maybe you just don't like family. Maybe you can't relax. Maybe you can't go on vacations. And then the conversation goes and she says something about how, uh, Margaret Thatcher is um uh sacked a lot of her cabinet and she says you're making enemies left right and center and do you think that's a good idea and Margaret says why yes of course i think that's i think you need to make enemies and she proceeds to rattle off this 19th century poem off the top of her head from uh, Charles McKay about the importance of a man making enemies and if you haven't made enemies then you haven't lived your life right and she does it in a way that you know that the queen's achilles heel is her lack of education and that that is the one thing that you can that the, that will put the queen in her place is that she that Margaret Thatcher is outclassing her in that. And it's the moment you, the queen realizes that she is outwitted and outmatched and she, she has finally come up against uh, a worthy adversary. And you see that Margaret Thatcher puts the queen, the goddamn queen in her place. And it's one of those shifting of power moments that is absolutely magnificent. And it's something that the crown does so beautifully. What did you think?
1: Tom,
3: Loved every minute of it. I've watched past seasons. This season just got under my skin because it, it's modern. It's it's the part of the crown that I actually remember and lived through. Not that I know all the details, but Margaret Thatcher. The Princess Diana storyline is remarkable and how they portray, they, they warn for every episode, but they portray her bulimia in a really upfront way, which I think is kind of brave, kind of interesting, you know, how that affected her and, and everything else. And, uh, I just was deeply involved. the The, the um, Princess Margaret storyline is really provocative and interesting. You know, because there's a few episodes where she just has great one liners, and then and then because it's Netflix and the guy, there's her episode, and it's so.
2: Margaret is just a horrid, horrid woman, too. There's that scene where she's just telling the story, and she's sort of like, you know, has everyone in a captive audience talking about what a horrible woman um, uh, your your heroine is, Fenton. Demelda Marcos. Yes, Marcos, uh, yeah. Yes, that, I, I know you've always had a soft spot for Amelda. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think any girl growing up dreaming of being a princess, this is going to put pay to that, you know, right? Yeah. It's an epic scape of misery, of evil, festering evil, like the, you know, um, I, I, I'm surprised, actually, I sort of feel almost we need to talk about it in another episode and talk, spend the entire episode talking about it because I think all the characters are so fascinating. And that first hour in which they are juxtaposing the hunting down of the deer and the catching of fish and the shooting of birds as the IRA are prepping to blow up, hunt down and blow up Mountbatten is but we also have
2: we also have a new buck coming into the royal family, and we also have you know uh, we're we're, shoot, we're taking down of a peg or two of of Margaret Thatcher. Um, I also think that last season, uh, you sort of felt a little sorry for Prince Charles, and this season he is just one of the most loathsome toads that has ever been, uh, you know, walked across the public
3: stage. I always part of me kind of bought into the misogyny of Princess Diana. I'm embarrassed to say I thought like, well, she's crazy and she was loony, and this portrayal makes it very clear that she was gaslit, that she was never set up to win, that she was isolated and 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 not supported, and it's it's. It makes me feel bad for her. It also makes me, you know, all the conspiracy theories about her end, which we haven't dealt with yet, but how she dies and was that inevitable or was that planned or is, I don't
1: know. You know, Tom, I find it hard to believe that this is the final season because we need, right? There's got to be another season. We've got to
2: have a Megan season. We've got to have, you know, I mean, yes, there's so much. We've got to have a Sarah Duchess of York. Does she come in at all of this season?
1: You see a little bit
3: of her toward the end. She's very lightly touched upon.
1: Yeah, um, you leave a lot out. They left out the sinking of the Belgrano. They left out the Brighton bombing. You know, the, I just I think that we we and there's so much story to get through. I mean, that is one of the most amazing things to me. I, I've always loved his his writing, and um, yeah, the thing about Peter Morgan is I don't know the way he's reduced, not reduced, no, the way he's created these standalone episodes that are so layered. And, you know, you have Princess Margaret with her mental issues, and then you learn this true story of the cousins in the mental asylum and the way he's always juxtaposing things, not in a way that just upsets your expectations, but you constantly see-saw. And one moment you're thinking, oh, the Queen's nice, and one moment you think she's a horrible bitch, and then it, it goes back and forth. I mean, Prince Charles, I, I agree with you, James. He does come across as sort of peewee, Herman slash hunchback. And a little- he's,
2: he's Richard III is what he's doing.
1: Right. That's right. But then there are moments where you do sympathize. I do sympathize with him. And, and and the fact that we see Diana, we're first introduced D- to Diana dressed um, as she describes it as a mad tree because she was an extra in Midsummer Night's Dream. I mean, even that, even the fact that it's Midsummer Night's Dream, which is this sort of fantasy about royalty and queens and, you bottom,
2: weren't you Bottom in *Midsummer's Night Dream?
1: Um, I was Titania, James. Queen. How
2: important, <laughs> my God. And they're still talking about it to this day, if I recall. We so. <laughs>
3: and Blake just pointed out there will be a season five. So there is another wow. season coming. There was t- At one moment they were saying this was the last season and they realized they had to do more. I have a feeling they'll never stop. I think we're going to have you know, the crown in outer space in a few years.
2: Right. We're going to have, have the Louis and Charlotte story.
1: It's so good. I think everybody's loving it, right? I mean, except except people in England. I've read some really snarky reviews of people saying it's ridiculous. It's a pastiche. It's you know, but I think he did an amazing job. You know, you
3: you get online, you read about what's real and what's not real, and obviously there's certain dramatic liberties taken and timelines blurred a bit. But, But to your point, the back and forth, the way you feel for people, it's so rich and delightful. And the last thing it said, I don't think any of this ruins any of it is just how Prince Philip sort of says to everyone, it's all about her. It's she, she is the oxygen that we live in. Like it's about support. Like everybody else's life is just secondary. Yes, you are secondary
1: in service to the queen in a way that was so compelling. Oh, I think that was absolutely fascinating. I'm so glad you mentioned that because when you think about it what thatcher brought to britain was the individual and the importance of the individual and being an entrepreneur and being a small business and pursuing your own dreams that was how she broke the unions and the slightly socialist structure of britain that she inherited and that is interesting because it's completely at odds with the whole idea of the royal family which as you say there's only one queen and everybody else is expendable and secondary. So in an evolving culture in which suddenly everyone gets me, 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 and this is in a, in a way the curse of neoliberalism is that we're all completely self-obsessed and narcissistic and ambitious and selfish. That is a direct problem for the crown as conceived as this institution, because it's all about self-abnegation of everybody else, conformity for everybody else in service of the queen.
2: And might I just point out that um, Margaret Thatcher's hair is beyond fantastic, and those pussy bows are just absolutely spectacular. This is a bit. watching on all sorts of levels.
1: She's always seen spraying it or putting on, isn't she? They they always like, say like, I had
2: that was- hairdo in the eighties. I don't know if you remember. Who did? I did. <laughs> I had I had Brooke Astor hair. <laughs> I would go and get it set and, and teased. And it would last two weeks.
1: Did you sleep with it wrapped in loo paper? (laughs) Yes. Uh, All right. Um, Thanks for tuning in to the Wow Report uh, special Queen edition here on Radio Andy on Sirius XM. You can catch previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. Um, Same time, same place next week. In the meantime, everybody, happy Thanksgiving. And we will see you next on Black Friday. Until then, go out, wear a mask, and do something that makes the world go
3: wow.